Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 9 and 10 of A Court of Mist and Fury. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. Hi. Hello. I'm saying hi like we didn't record back to back. Right. We haven't just been talking for over two and a half hours, but okay. Never. No. Well, listen, not only do we talk about podcast we also end up talking about life. So we edit out those parts because they're boring. <laughs> we go on a lot of tangents. There's a lot of avenues we end up on. How was this whole new week that definitely has happened since the last time I talked to you? Rough. Rough, Abby. Oh, it's your turn to be rough. Yeah, it was rough. So, huh. Okay, let's hear it. My husband does play volleyball. He does elite. Of course he does. And he had a volleyball game and he picked up our daughter from school. Beautiful. They chilled in the office at his office. I, in the office in our home, worked and then took my car to go meet him and her at the volleyball game. And my car died in the parking lot. The battery died. Oh! As we were trying to leave. But because we got there separately, I was able to obviously just be driven home by him. But my battery died. And it was just frustrating because it didn't have any problems leaving the house to go to the game. It just decided after the game it was too tired to take its sorry ass home i love my car i'm sorry car don't hate me you are all reliable you have a beautiful car i love my car i do she is faithful and she she's sturdy man i love her i've had her forever to be fair the battery was almost eight years old and that's a very long time for a car battery to keep going so I, we definitely pushed it farther than we needed to with this battery my husband did replace the battery and she is up and running perfectly fine again but and just i had to like drive extra to like go pick her up and bring her back home because he had to drive to her to go fix her and then i had to come with him so that he could drive himself home and I could also drive our vehicle home. I feel like this is a lot of back and forth. And I don't like driving. Abby, you know I don't like driving. It was. It was a lot of back and forth. But you know I don't like driving. Now, if anything knows anything about me, I don't like driving. It's just not her favorite thing. No, it's not. For the longest time, my Instagram handle was Libby Doesn't Drive. I've changed it. Don't try using that to look me up. It's not that anymore. <laughs> but that was my Instagram handle for years was Libby Doesn't Drive because I hate driving. I am a passenger princess. I will get that mm, stamped on my forehead. Libby, when I came to visit you, I drove everywhere. Yeah, I hate it. I hate driving. It's just, ugh. And then of course your car's like, you know how you hate doing this thing? I'm gonna make it 10 times harder. Make it so much harder, yeah. I shouldn't say it was bad or rough or frustrating. It was just inconvenient. And I am prissy enough to not like to be inconvenienced. I, so I was moody. Well, listen, you live a life where you don't have to be inconvenienced normally. And so the fact that it had the audacity to ruin that. How dare you? I've been nothing but good to you. Yeah, so I was very grumpy. Libby, do you remember when I got home from my surgery? Yes. When I got home from surgery last February, we drove from northern Italy to like middle of Germany. So about 12 hours, right? 
Yes. There and back, drove the whole week there. We got back to our house, the 12 hour drive back home after my surgery. My car decided to die in the driveway. <laughs> Thanks. So. I'm so sorry. At least you weren't in Germany. That's fair. You made it home and everything was safe. It was just an inconvenience. It was. You're right. Moving on. Abby, your week. How was it? I got a, got a couple things. I got to tell you about my inconvenience. Do you know what is inconvenient? No. Yes. No. Any men that are listening, just close your ears. Being a menstruating woman, fuck that shit. Yep. I don't know how to be a girl because I didn't have to be because mm. PCOS, I'm PCOS girly, didn't have to like deal with that. I feel insane all the time. I don't know how to regulate my hormones or my emotions. And I just think that we have gone too far in the Lord's Day 2024 to have periods. And I'm angry about them. Simon says, fuck periods. Literally. In my angst of being exhausted from said period and not wanting to do anything, even though I'm, you know, in the busiest schedule of my entire life, I have decided that I would like to formally bring back slash bring to everyday wear cottagecore, ren fair, fairycore vibes. Yeah, why isn't that acceptable everyday wear? Why can't we do this? I think it should be. If I saw somebody wearing like a corset with like off the shoulder, billowy sleeves. Fucking pretty. Giving like Ren Faire. I would just like bow down to them. And there's no wrong body type for that. There's not one body type that doesn't look good in that outfit. No. And you know what? I think we should, as much as I love my ripped jeans and like sweatshirts, I'm literally wearing a Laura sweatshirt right now. As much as I love comfy vibes, I would just love to be able to wear that and like a flowy skirt and walk into a cafe and not have everybody stare at me. I'm going to do it regardless. I have gone on a website that rhymes with Rien. Fast fashion is bad, but I can't afford any better. Okay. We're broke girls, guys. We're broke. <laughs> literally. My cart is full of three dollars worth of Ren Faire Fairy Core Cottage Core Vibe outfits and I would just like to say that will be my summer. I love it. And that's what I will be wearing. Along with I feel like we should bring back or bring to the table riding leather vibe workout gear. Ooh yeah yeah. I don't want a cute Nike set. Uh, no. I need it to be breathable, Abby. I'm going to be gross here. I sweat like a pig. I need it to be breathable. It's going to be rough. We can use current fabrics and things. Okay. But I just want to look like a badass lady going to the gym, going to fight some demons. Like That's not too much to ask. I don't want a, a matching hot pink set. No. I want to look like I am going to Best Guyeth and I'm going to school at a war college. Like I don't understand why that isn't available. I can get matching rainbow unicorn workout set in two seconds. The bookish community is underserved with their clothing options. It really is. I'm just saying, why is fantasy clothing not just like a normal option? I don't know. <sighs> but I like this thought. So I'm exhausted and I'm frustrated. I'm offended that it is not normal. Yeah. I just think that we should be able to walk around the world like we're little fairies or little fae and just have a great time. And instead, I have to wear jeans. Yep. Whatever. Do you need me to provide you a lighter topic? Yes, because I'm angry. Our question of the week, which should have been a lighter topic, but now that I read it, it is not. Oh, mine's light. <laughs> what is the dumbest argument you've ever had? Do you have an answer or do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay. So this one goes out to my brother. Have you seen The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? The original Jim Carrey one. Yes. Did you know that he almost didn't do it because he said wearing the Grinch makeup was, was like being tortured? He had to literally go through training in how to be tortured from like previous CII agents to learn to sit through getting the makeup applied. Sorry. Continuing on. Argument. Dumbest argument. The Grinch. Go ahead. FaceTime Mitchell. 
Starting a FaceTime call to Mitchell. The Grinch who stole Christmas. You remember the movie? What? <laughs> the Grinch. Yeah. Okay. When he's yelling into the abyss and he says, you're an idiot. And the person says, I'm an idiot back. What do you think it says? Hear me. No. Goodbye. That's not right. So this is an ongoing argument? This hasn't even been resolved? Oh, this has been since I was eight years old. Wow. I mean, this is the dumbest argument. Wow. Okay. The Grinch who stole Christmas. He eats glass and he's by himself and he's yelling into this abyss, into this cavern. And he's yelling back to himself. So the Grinch says, I'm an idiot. And the voice back says, you're an idiot. And the echo, right? Yes. My brother, as you all have just heard, thinks it says, hear me back. Mm-hmm. why would it say hear me he says i'm an idiot and it goes you're an idiot because hear me i've got it pulled up online the quote says the grinch i'm an idiot echo you're an idiot it is literally quoted the script shows he's wrong guys if you could see me i'm literally shaking this has been an argument in my family wow <laughs> Since I was like eight years old. Wow. The Grinch holds a very special place in my family's household. I can tell. Every Christmas, this would be the one movie we'd all watch together. And ever since I've been a kid, my brother swears that section says, hear me. Why would it say that, Libby? And we have fought about that since very first time we've heard it. So when you said, what's the dumbest argument you've ever had? That is the dumbest argument. My brother's younger, like a year and a half younger than me. He is well into his 20s. This man has a brain. He, I mean, he was a Marine, so maybe he doesn't have a brain. <laughs> he works in the aerospace company. Like he, ha- he has a college degree. Oh, Mitchell. He knows it says yeah. you're an idiot, but he will not let it die. Libby, how red is my face? You're mad. I can see it. <laughs> there is a few things that bring true rage. At this point, it's got to be that he's sticking to his guns to piss you off. That's all I can imagine. That's the only reason. And you heard him laugh. You heard him laugh and go, they hear me. I love it. It doesn't so hear me. Libby, I will let you go on your rampage, but I would like to everybody to know, you know how I said the last podcast, I very rarely feel anger. White hot rage. Okay, that's the dumbest argument. Please go. <laughs> dumbest argument. When my husband and I were first married, I've told you this story. Most people, when they first meet us, this is one of the stories we immediately tell. It was one of the stupidest arguments. It is the stupidest argument I've had with anybody ever. My husband was making the list of groceries. He was writing it down for like what we needed to go pick up from the store. And I would say, how about I make enchiladas? He was like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm like, cool. We need red enchilada sauce. And he's like, no, you mean green. Oh, no. No, I meant red. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's green. Uh, No, I've been making these enchiladas. I'm the only one that's made enchiladas. I've only ever made them with the red sauce. Yes, I know that there are places that do green sauce. I have nothing against green sauce. However, the enchiladas I make, red sauce. I've never used green sauce. It's always been with red sauce. That's the enchiladas that I make. And we got into like a screaming match. Like we were... Did he not know that it was an option? Like, did he not know that there were two different types? He knew that there were two different types. He was telling me I was wrong. He was like, I think I would know. And I'm like, I fucking make them. I know. What do you mean you know? So we were losing it. We've never talked about this. Which one of you cooks more? Mm, It depends. It depends on what specifically you're talking about. It's pretty even. The fact that you're even contemplating it makes me jealous because oh. I cook all the time. Except at breakfast. He cooks breakfast. Skylar cooks quite a bit. He really does. He cooks quite a bit. But when it comes to enchiladas, 
I've only ever made the enchiladas. Okay. He, he was so insistent that he knew which sauce that I had been using forever to make these enchiladas. Obviously not. I'm the one that makes them. I've never even bought the green sauce. I've never had the green sauce in our house. <laughs> like I don't even order enchiladas at restaurants with the green but sauce. But he was adamant. Adamant. So we were like pissed. We were yelling at each other. Oh, I love that. We went back home. He went upstairs and like slammed the door and closed himself in our room. And I was like slamming was cabinets downstairs. Yeah, this was in North Dakota. Yeah. This, I was about to say, this sounds like a Minot qu- uh, story. This was a Minot thing. It was it was super early in our marriage. I was like slamming the cabinets because I knew how to make maybe three things, when we four things when we first got married. Enchiladas. Enchiladas was one. And I had made them enough that he should have known. Yeah, so we were losing our shit. Enchiladas aren't easy to make bad they're pretty easy i've never had an issue making them like out of all the things that you could make that's a pretty impressive one to like add to your recipe list there were like four there was enchiladas lasagna tuna casserole and this lasagna is also not easy to make why are you making (laughs) and my grilled cheese and soup again not my tomato soup because i never had tomato soup with grilled cheese growing up so circling back to that those were the things i knew how to make <laughs> so I ended up making the enchiladas and I was still I was fucking pissed and livid while doing it. I was like I'm gonna make these fucking enchiladas I'm gonna show him that this is what they look and I brought him the plate upstairs and like handed it to him and just kind of like stood there staring each other down and we're like glaring at each other and we're just like immediately I don't know what happened but we're just both like that's the stupidest fucking thing we've ever argued about like why are we this pissed about enchilada sauce and now like it's hilarious we laugh about it like we still can't figure out why we got so fucking heated over enchilada sauce god it damn was, enchiladas it, we were heated like I don't think we've <laughs> ever fought to that level about anything else that was our biggest argument and I still can't figure out why it got so bad over enchilada sauce and at the end you know who who admitted that they were wrong? Oh, I love it. He did. He was like, you know, it is red sauce. Yeah, because they're your enchiladas. It's yes! Yes! So, and you know what? To this day, I still make enchiladas <sighs> only with red sauce. Again, nothing against green sauce, but now I, I have to. I can never make it with green sauce because of that argument in spite of it all. So, Skylar, when you're listening to this, just know if you ever want green sauce enchiladas, not in our house. That was my dumbest, our dumbest fight we've ever had. I am so glad we were able to lighten the mood after (laughs) dead car batteries and periods. So, (sighs) oh my gosh, guys, I still am mad. Should we get businessy? No, because I'm still mad. Let's get down to business. Let's do our our statement so that Bestie doesn't shut us down. Abby, if you'll start off with the honors. This podcast episode contains discussions and commentary on the series A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. We believe that our use of copyrighted materials falls under the doctrine of fair use, as we are providing transformative commentary, analysis, and discussion for educational and entertainment purposes. We respect the rights of the copyright owner, and our use is in accordance with the principles of fair use under copyright law. Listeners are encouraged to obtain their own copy of A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Mass to fully enjoy and appreciate the work in its entirety. Chapter 9, 
Favor paced her room as she questioned whether she had really been the one to summon heat and brand the wooden table. She tried to convince herself that she hadn't just slipped into Lucian's mind with that ease. Alice arrived to help Favor dress down for bed, and as Alice brushed her hair, Favor cringed at the bags beneath her eyes that looked as if they had been there forever. Alice wondered aloud about Favor giving her jewels to a water wraith. Favor looked at her through the mirror as Alice warned that water wraiths are a slippery sort. Favor defended her actions since they had claimed to be starving. Nobody would give anything to the water wraiths. Nobody would have dared. So many of their kind had died from starvation, but insatiable hunger was a known curse of theirs, Alice explained. Alice continued that Favor's jewels wouldn't last a week, and as Favor grew clearly agitated, Alice also patted her shoulder while telling her that the wraith would never forget what Favor had done for them. Word would spread, too. Too many fairies felt what true hunger was in these past 50 years. More than anything, this scared Feyre. Sometime after midnight, Feyre conceded in her wait for Tamlin to come to her room himself and set out down the quiet, darkened halls to find him herself. Alone in his study, she found him with a wooden box wrapped in a large pink bow. Tamlin immediately began to claim he was about to come up to her, then followed by scolding Feyre for being awake at this time. Feyre told him he should also be asleep, but followed her retort by soothing him and remarking that he works too hard. Tamlin grumbled about not having wanted to be High Lord considering all the paperwork that came along with it. Feyre giggled at this, and Tamlin came close, kissing her brow and apologizing. He then kissed her neck and repeated his being sorry while doing so. Tamlin spoke against her skin that he had been wrong to say these things to her or Lucian. He hadn't meant any of them. Feyre apologized in turn for having snapped at Tamlin at all. Tamlin assured her that she had every right to do so. In her mind, Feyre defended that Tamlin had been right and exceptions would be demanded from all other Fey if made for a few. She told herself that she had been undermining Tamlin by acting this way, but Tamlin assured Feyre further that she had been right. He had never known what it was like to be starving or truly suffering or to struggle. Feyre peeked at the present waiting for her and Tamlin offered it as an apology for how he had behaved. As she opened the gift, Feyre hoped to herself that it wasn't a crown. Somehow, it managed to be worse. A traveling painting kit. The red within the kit was so damn bright. And the blue, the blue was as stunning as the eyes of the fae woman that Feyre had plunged the ash wood dagger into. Feyre stared. Looking at these paints felt the same as looking at a picked apart corpse. Feyre tried all she could to smile and force brightness to her face, but Tamlin saw through it. He simply said, you don't like it. Not a question, a statement. Feyre denied this and told him it was wonderful. She began to tell herself this too, to convince herself that this truly was a wonderful gift. Tamlin began to say something about how he thought if she had begun painting again and Feyre stayed silent waiting for him to go on, but he didn't. Feyre felt hot as she quietly asked, what about Tamlin? Would all the paperwork help him at all? As Feyre made eye contact, she could see the rage in Tamlin's eyes growing. He made it clear that they were not talking about him. This was about her. So Feyre pressed on, questioning if she would even be allowed to roam to wherever she wanted to paint, or would she be escorted then too? Tamlin said nothing. Feyre's anger grew. She was shaking, seething from it. She forced herself, for their sake, to say that she couldn't live this way. She couldn't handle the constant guards. It was suffocating her. She began to plead that he let her help, let her work with him. Tamlin rejected this. She had given enough already. 
Favor was quick to explain that she was faster and stronger now and harder to kill, but Tamlin interrupted that his own family had still been faster and stronger than her now, and yet they were easily murdered. Favor spit out, then marry someone who can put up with this. Tamlin blinked and asked if she didn't want to marry him then. Favor stumbled back on her words, withdrawing and saying, of course she did, all while trying not to look at her emerald engagement ring. But the room felt like it was closing in on her. She managed to say that she was drowning. And the more all of this went on, the more it felt like Tamlin was the one shoving her head under the water. Tamlin at first appeared blank. There was simply nothingness. Then, in an instant, Favor cried out. An instinct took over as Tamlin's power surged through the room, shattering windows, demolishing the furniture, demolishing the box of paints he had just gifted her. The paint kit exploded into the fragments of glass and wood it had been made of. Chapter 10. The entire room shattered around her in an instant, like a switch was flipped. She found herself on the floor with her hands above her head, protecting herself. She found herself on the floor with her hands above her head, protecting herself. Tamlin only continued his labored pants. Though Feyre's entire body had gone into shock and was shaking, she forced herself to look at him. His eyes were full of pain fear, and grief. She looked around herself to find that none of the wreckage was near her, almost like Tamlin had shielded her. But as he attempted to walk towards her, he was forced back by an invisible wall. He tried calling her name, tried reaching out towards her once more, but it was again unable to breach the barrier. It was at that moment she realized she was the one who had put up the shield. Not only a mental one, but now a physical shield from him. She heard him plead her name a third, fourth, and fifth time. Only after the last time did she really hear him. It broke something within her and within the shield. Tamlin walked through what was a physical representation of where danger stopped and her safety started. He dropped to his knees apologizing, but her body couldn't quit shaking. He tried to justify his actions by saying that today was just a bad day, bad timing with the tithe and everything. He wanted to forget it and move past it. All of this was falling through his lips as he pulled her close to him, wrapping his arms around her waist and burying his head into the nape of her neck skin to skin, the only way they'd ever been able to communicate effectively. He continued saying that he couldn't save her before or protect her from them. And when she had said that he was drowning her, he wondered aloud if he was better than any of them. Feyre knew she should have calmed his fears, but she couldn't. She, for the first time, had spoken from her heart or whatever was left of it. He said he'd try to be better and begged her for more time. He begged for her to let him get through this. She wondered what he possibly had to get through, but couldn't make herself respond. She was beyond words. Tamlin stood there, waiting for an answer Feyre didn't have to give him. Since her words were gone, she wrapped herself around him, using her body to communicate like she had done before. He apologized again and again and again for minutes. You've given enough, Feyre. His words had run through her mind. Maybe he was right, and maybe she didn't have anything left to give. Behind him, she saw that that red paint had been splattered in the wall, looking just like blood. The next few days were filled with Tamlin's nonstop apologies, both verbal and physical. He made love to her both morning and night, but that was always the easy part between them. Less guards followed her around the grounds, and she was even allowed on a ride through the woods without an escort. Tamlin never mentioned that shield, and neither did she. Tamlin spent most of his time away, and when he came back, he never told Pharaoh where he had been or what he'd done. She'd never bothered to ask him for answers, and had to remind herself that this protector she was now tied to had once been the exact thing she wanted. She had needed him when she was starving and broken, but now she didn't know who she needed, wanted, or who she'd even become. Her lonely days were spent building up her mental shield, reading, and writing. She was surrounded by silence, and some days didn't speak to a single soul. 
That new silence didn't last into the night, though, where she was still hounded by relentless nightmares. In those moments, she was glad that Tamlin wasn't here to witness them. She was glad she didn't have to ignore his own nightmares and the nights he'd spent in his beast form, guarding the manor until the morning light. She didn't know what to say to him then. Didn't know what to say to calm his fears, because she was the source of so many of them. A week later, he returned for a longer stay. Vera decided to try to act like things were normal, and so did he. Things felt as normal as it had been in a long while. She'd been sleeping in later and later each morning, even those spent with Tamlin. One of those mornings, she heard low voices outside of her bedroom. Get out, she heard Tamlin say. The quiet voice she heard sent shivers down her spine. She had tried to count the days, how long it had been since she'd last been with him, because there was no way he was here already. She ran to the door, only realizing she was naked far too late. Her clothes were in pieces, thrown about the room thanks to Tamlin. She threw a blanket around herself before exiting her room. There he was, his eyes taking in every detail of her. His response came out of left field. Feyre, are you running low on food here? Tamlin was angry and confused at that question and demanded an explanation from the High Lord of the Night Court, but Reese only reached his hand out to Feyre and said, let's go. Tamlin only got angrier and demanded again that Reese get out and said, she'll come to you when she's ready. At that, Reese brushed off an invisible fleck of dust from Tamlin's sleeve. Feyre thought that it took nerve to do that, because if Tamlin's teeth had been so close to her throat, she would have been terrified. Reese looked over to her and out loud reminded Feyre that she actually wouldn't have been terrified because the last time Tamlin's teeth were that close to her, she had slapped him across the face. Her shields were down. Shut your mouth and get out, Tamlin spat back. Reese only told Tamlin that he really should get his wards inspected because Cauldron knows what other sorts of things might stroll in as easily as he had. Reese told Feyre to put some clothes on. She returned to her room, Tamlin following her after he slammed the door hard enough that the chandelier shuddered. Feyre began dressing in the night court clothes that she had pleaded Alice to keep and asked Tamlin how Reese had gotten in. Tamlin said he didn't know but Feyre could hear the lie the minute it rolled off his tongue. Tamlin continued saying that it had to be part of whatever game Reese was playing. If war is coming, maybe we'd be better served trying to mend things, she said, approaching the topic they had not touched since the day she had returned to him. Tamlin said he'd start fixing things between he and Reese the day Reese released her from the bargain. Maybe he's keeping the bargain so you'll actually attempt to listen to him, she said. Tamlin reached for her, but she stepped back. He said, why do you need to know these things? Is it not enough to recover in peace? You've earned that for yourself. You earned it. I relax the number of sentries here. I, I've been trying, trying to be better about it, so leave the rest of it. This isn't the time for this conversation. It was conveniently never the time for this conversation or any, but Favor didn't have the energy to fight it this time. She looked at him and tried to memorize the lines of his face, not fighting him as he wrapped her in a hug. They heard a cough from the hall, causing Tam's body to freeze. But Feyre didn't have it in her anymore for fighting or snarling. She thought that going back to that open, serene place at the top of the mountain seemed better than hiding in the library anyways. She pulled away from him and walked back towards Reese. He frowned at her, and she almost said something snarky back at him, but didn't have the fire in her to do so. She didn't care what he thought. Reese's face went blank as he reached out for her but Tamlin's hand shoved it down as he appeared behind Feyre. He pleaded to Reese to end the bargain right here and right now, and that Tamlin would give him anything he wanted if he did so. Anything. Feyre asked him if he was out of his mind, but he didn't spare even a glance in her direction. I already have everything I want, Reese said as he stepped around Tamlin, as though he was nothing more than a piece of furniture in his way. Feyre didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye before she was surrounded by familiar darkness. Heavy chapters. Very. 
Going back to the wooden box wrapped in a fat pink bow. Immediately, <laughs> immediately, first thought was this doesn't feel fitting for Feyre. Like pink, really? It, it feels no. like a pre under the mountain giddy naive Feyre, probably even an Elaine type gift. But Feyre now, no, this doesn't even, it, no, it just, how disconnected does he have to be? She hates frilly things and he just doesn't get it. He doesn't. He does not know her at all. Not even a little bit. I was very shocked that Tamlin was apologizing at all. I just wasn't expecting him to apologize. Does he apologize with words or apologize with gifts? But then Feyre is saying, I'm sorry I snapped at you. Like, no, don't apologize for speaking the truth and standing up for what was right. Like, you didn't snap at him. You had valid, well thought out points and you're going back on those now because he got offended that he was wrong? No. And then she's telling herself is like a sentence later, I mean, what he said had been true if he makes exceptions. No, Feyre, stop trying to convince yourself that this man was right in any possible way. He was not right. Stop trying to make him better than what he is. But then for Tamlin to kind of respond saying, you know, no, you were right. I don't understand how it is to be starving. I was kind of impressed. I shouldn't even say impressed. I maybe relieved a little bit that he had reflected enough to admit that he was wrong and he truly couldn't understand what it was like to go through those things. Oh, but don't worry, Abby. I was going to say my empathy is gone. That did not last very long at all. He couldn't handle his temper when he tried to bribe her with gifts that she did not like. And it immediately temper is flaring in his eyes. Like, why? Why can you not control yourself? You got the gift. You got the wrong thing because you don't know her. You don't make any effort to get to know her. And you're going to get pissed at her because you fucked up? No, no. The gift was just a disaster. And that was before the blow up. I want to give Fair her props because when she says, marry someone who can put up with this. Oh, yes, girl. Yes. I was like, thank you. Say it. Stand up for yourself. Finally. Finally. Only for it to be followed up with him quite literally exploding. Literally exploding everywhere. Have you ever gotten a gift that was that bad? I've gotten a gift that was that bad. Have you gotten one? Can I tell you what mine is? Okay, so my husband. Oh no, Abby, right away, no. One of his strong points is not gifts. Okay. I've learned that I'm a very picky person. Even though I don't want to be, I'm a very picky person. And so I've learned that if I'm going to be happy with a gift, I need to pick it out myself and my husband is okay with that. Okay. But before my husband knew how picky I was and knew that it was <laughs> just better to let me pick out my own gifts for our first Valentine's Day together. Oh boy. Libby, we have talked about how I do love Disney, but I would not consider myself a Disney adult. For our first Valentine's Day, together he got me a lilo and stitch infinity scarf what made out of a cotton material like a pillowcase material so an infinity scarf with lilo and stitch on it and little hearts and granted we'd only been dating for a month little hearts that said love you on it with stitch holding the hearts again we had not said that word abby as someone who is a disney adult i would not want that gift either no when pharaoh was given that gift which obviously was like no it gave me the james giving me lilo and stitch pillowcase infinity scarf on my birthday vibes that's rough it was an absolute flop i don't even know what to say you know and it was 
this early enough in a relationship, I did kind of have to fake it. Did he explode with rage if you didn't absolutely melt over it though? You know what? Actually, I didn't want to have sex. Hi, parents quit listening. I didn't want to have sex that Valentine's Day because I had a really bad headache and my blood sugar was high. Do you know what he did? Hmm. Cuddled me on the couch till I fell asleep lovingly. Oh, you mean he didn't destroy your house and act like you were the worst piece of shit ever? Oh no. Funny enough, I didn't have to deal with like things exploding around me and I didn't have to put a shield around myself. And I didn't have to cross the line between danger and safety. What normal relationships should be. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. As it should be. Yeah. What a healthy response does look like. Mm -hmm. I did love then marry somebody who can put up with this because that was the line in the sand. I was very proud of that. But at the very end of your chapter, literally page 100, when Feyre explains how she's truly feeling, Feyre says, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. And the more you do this, the more guards, you might as well be shoving my head under the water. And I said, wow, open and honest adult communication. I don't know how much more clear she could have possibly been. I was like, oh my God, she did it. She communicated in the way an adult should. Very well. And then I said, after, you know, the windows shatter and the furniture splintered. Well, uh, never mind then, I guess. We can just keep acting like a two-year-old throwing her temper tantrums instead. Right. Yes, please continue on to my chapter because I don't know what to do. In your chapter, immediately starting out where she's saying, you know, none of the explosions remnants whatever had touched her where she had dropped on the floor first thought thank goodness for the powers that tamlin refuses to let her learn how to wield Mm. they are literally protecting her from him it's funny that he doesn't want her to learn to use them as they should and they're being used to protect her from him crazy how that works huh isn't it isn't it wow you know what pissed me off though i was so irritated that immediately Pharaoh looks to him and just like, oh, there's devastation and grief and pain on him. Stop it. That's what made you mad, my friend? That's the first part. Like, it goes on. I didn't just stop there. Okay, I was worried. Right away, she's just looking at him and she's so worried about his devastation and pain. I'm sorry. He so willingly just threw her into harm's way and she's worried about his feelings. He doesn't give a second thought to how he actually almost harmed her, but she is putting his emotions as her priority here. Feyre, why? Libby? <sighs> okay. The fact that she thought that Tamlin had put the shield around her. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, girl, you are really, you've really gone off the deep end, my friend. The fact that she thought he had protected her. You see that it says that he recoiled as if he had hit something solid. And it makes you wonder, is Feyre stronger than him? Are all of these powers making him the weaker one in the dynamic? Is that also making him feel threatened? I say yes, because Reese even said that. He's like, do you not realize that you are real strong for high fae? Who knows? He might be a little worried, as he should be. You know what felt really icky? Mm. when Tamlin is like... Oh, this whole book, that's the answer. Anything with Tamlin in this book so far. So far. (laughs) When he's saying like, please, please, like begging Feyre to bring down whatever shield this was. It, to me, it sounds like when abusive partners, when they've just harmed their partner... Yeah. And they're trying to apologize and make it up to them so they can go right back to hurting them again. It's like, please. And then she just says, it cracked me open. And it's just like... It frustrates me. Okay, but I'm grateful she didn't hear it the first couple times. It wasn't an immediate, oh, my poor hubby. I know. For her to say it cracked her open. To me, it says that Favor's not ready to accept reality here of what's happening. So, you know, put herself first and get out. Oh, she's disassociating. Full on. It makes me wonder, does she feel 
Like, she deserves this treatment because of what she was forced to do under the mountain. Obviously, you and I know that's not true. But do you think she feels like she deserves what's happening here? Yes. Which is fucking heartbreaking. Yes, because she said it. I am darkness. I am ruined. I am dirty. I don't deserve good. Do you think she's staying with all this shit from Tamlin? Because she feels like all of Tamlin's rage that she's enduring right now. It's like this is what she gets for the things that she did. Yeah. It's very common that domestic violence survivors do feel like everything's their fault. And that's devastating. We're seeing how much that Tam manipulates. Yeah. I see it happening. Yeah. Well, and then Tamlin's just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he's telling her all I'll try. I'll try to be better. I can't control it. The rage today was just bad. Empty promises and excuses and asking her to forget this even happened. Basically saying like, oh, it's not my fault. These bad things caused me to do it. I didn't do it. It's the bad things that happened today. I'm so sorry. I'll try. How many times do we have to say if he wanted to, he would? There would be no, I'll try. It would be, I will not let myself be this again. She's not worth it to him. She does not matter enough to him, whether he realizes that or not, but she does not matter enough to him for him to not get violent and destructive and terrifying. It's just, I'll try. What the fuck is that? You'll try it. You'll try? When he says I'll try, I'm like, it's not a try. Yes. It's like a yes or no thing. You do it. Figure it out. I'll try not to explode and hurt you. Yeah. Uh, bye. And what really, oh, like I was enraged when he's saying, and when you said that about me, like to me, it felt like him turning the blame onto her. Okay, that's the manipulation thing I'm saying. Yes. He's like, when you said that, I'm so, it's her fault. It is now her fault for openly communicating and being honest with you because she said that you were then triggered and it's not your fault because she said it. Yes. I'm ready to fight on site with him. And he thinks that's normal and he thinks it's fine. And I am like, this is literally domestic violence right now. Ta-da. If you notice... He's saying, give me more time. But then Feyre's thinking about when he says, you've given enough. So which one is it, Tamlin? She's given enough, but she needs to give you more? Excuse me, sir? Yeah. How how does that make any sense? You tell her she's given enough, and then you turn around and say, give me more. More time, more patience, more understanding. So she's given everyone else enough, but she needs to give you more. Okay, Tamlin. Specifically, him more. Him him more he should get more (sighs) which is just disgusting it's not even like that much later on when she says that tamlin's away more often than he was there and it's so depressing but i get a little i don't know if hopeful is the right thing for her i don't know she's saying that idleness was all she had left so she used her time to read and practice her writing and her shielding and all i can think is that this is the only thing keeping her tethered reese's lessons are the only thing keeping her from having nothing reese isn't even physically there and he's doing more for her than tamlin has when he could be there. He has the opportunities to be around her and chooses not to. And Reese can't be around her except for the one week out of every month. And he is still providing more for her to hold on to than Tamlin is. And I love how he is the voice in her head. Yeah. It's funny because he is, can literally be the voice in her head. <laughs> but also the voice in her head he's not the real but but like he's the voice in her head yeah yeah that i just think it's kind of funny you know what was really sad though is she says at one point that someday she didn't speak 
to anybody, not even Alice. And I feel like when she's saying that, she's not even saying it sad. She's just accepted this is what her life has become. She just seems so empty when she's telling herself this. Some days I didn't speak to anyone at all, even Alice. And fuck, how absolutely lonely is that? It's sad that she feels comfortable in that space too. And like when she, at the very end, when she's like, I mean, I guess I'd go with him. The fact that she says... Being there in that beautiful, serene place was better than hiding in the library anyway. I was like, oh my God, we're learning. So right after she says that she spends some days not talking to anyone, she says she became glad that Tamlin wasn't there to watch it. At what point do you realize that being glad someone's not around should be the big red, like red ironic flag that you should not be with that person. If you're happier when they're not there, <laughs> right there, that's all. My husband and I had an argument today over the car keys. Okay. And there was a sentence that I said to him. Okay. That I still stand by. Your relationship with your spouse or with your partner should make your life easier, not harder. Yeah. And she's saying, I'm glad he was gone because it felt easier with him being away. And I'm like, ding, 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 hello. How much more of like a slap in your face can you get? Right. Then you literally don't want him around because you don't want to have to deal with him. Sounds like the wrong thing to say, but that's what it is. It is. I liked when Reese shows up and Feyre thinks like, oh, she would be so scared if Tamlin's teeth were close. And Reese just, he doesn't waste any fucking time. He's like, no, you wouldn't have. He immediately looks at her and like reinforces, you would not. You would have slapped him had he done that. He's like, funny enough, the opportunity has come up. And you didn't. I love that he doesn't try to communicate head to head. He calls it out. He wastes no time and says straight to her. Tries to give her that reinforcement, that reminder that she is strong. He just immediately is like, you would not. Do not doubt yourself. And I was just like, ugh. I have words. That got highlighted in uh, the orange funny for me. Because the next sentence down, Reese goes to Tim. Hey, you really should have your ward inspected. <laughs> Cauldron knows what other sort of riffraff might stroll in here as easily as I did and I'm like oh <laughs> calling him out like that was just a beautiful moment where I was like <laughs> I just love how dismissive he is of Tamlin like he makes Tamlin feel like nothing like just not shit and I'm glad somebody doesn't give Tamlin the time of day to feel powerful I'm glad somebody tries to put Tamlin in his place to remind him that you aren't shit buddy yeah. You are one of seven, High Lords. You're not that special, my guy. Reese isn't scared. He's like, and what? And we already know Reese is powerful. So I, I'm just waiting for like the <laughs> moment to come where they're going to like have a full on brawl. At the very end of this chapter, it makes me really angry. There's two things. Number one, when Feyre is like, hey, maybe we should start mending things with him. If war is coming, like he, she's trying to strategize with him and, and be an equal. And this is what Tim Tam says. Why do you need to know these things? Is it not enough for you to recover in peace? You earned that for yourself. You earned it. I relaxed a number of centuries. I've been trying, trying to be better about it. So leave the rest of it. What he was going to say is leave the rest of it to me. How about no? How about we leave the rest of it to all of us and be like equals in our relationship? He can't handle that. No? Cool. And then... He goes out to where Feyre has now joined Resand, and she was about to grab his hand to be winnowed out. And freaking Tam slaps his hand down on top of Feyre so she can't grab Reese's hand. And he's like, this isn't the first time he's done it either. He's like, you enter a bargain right here, right now, and I'll give you anything you want, anything. And Reese just goes, 
grabs Feyre's hand is like, I already have everything I want. And I was like, hell yeah, you do. It was hot. Like that was a beautiful moment. Do you have a favorite quote, Abby? Yes, but it's not a favorite quote for how it makes me feel. It's a favorite quote because I think the writing is nice. Mm-hmm. It's uh, page 104 and it says, what could I say to calm those fears when I was the source of so many of them? I just thought that was that was a good one. No, that is really good writing. Do you have a favorite one? I do. It doesn't make me happy, but it makes me think a lot. So that's why. Okay. It was, I didn't have the nerve to wonder what I wanted or needed now, who I had become. Just like, like she's like, I just don't even have it in me to know what I want anymore or what I need. I don't know. Yeah. And she just doesn't have the energy and it just, it's fucking sad. So yeah, that was mine. Our star of the week this week, her name is Leah and her name on Instagram is at what's your romanticy, which I think is romantic fantasy, but maybe not. She is another fellow bookstagrammer, which you know, we absolutely love to support. Her page is freaking beautiful. She's got pastels and blacks and whites on her page. Like that's a whole vibe. And I already see like when I scroll down, she had four of my favorite series within like one little scroll of the page. So I absolutely adore her. And I'm going to go ahead and read her about me blurb for y'all. She says, hi, my name is Leah and I'm an art director and mama of two from the Seattle area. I started my account because I had so much pent up creative energy surrounding the books and I was reading and also wanted to find community with other readers. I love using my design background to highlight my favorite things about the books I'm reading from characters, quotes, and themes, and then have fun creatively with them by making graphics, taking photos, and creating fun playlists to pair with them. Aside from reading, my hobbies include yelling, hey, get down from there at my feral children and drinking enough coffee to make Seattle proud. Well, girl, I yell that at my dogs and drink just as much coffee to make Italy proud. So I think we should be best friends. Guys, go ahead and follow her on her Instagram at at what's your romanticy. And like I said, she has the most adorable cute page. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. Send an email to a court of thorns and podcast at gmail.com and tell us everything. How you found the series, what was your favorite or most disliked moment, your favorite and most hated characters, any questions at all that you might have for us. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify so that we can find more of our bookish friends. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We'll see you next week. And remember... Don't let the hard days win. Thank you for me from the dark. Listening from the fight. Makes me taking all my feelings. You in my head. You in my heart. I'm never in the dark. Say words to see if I can hear you. I can't hear you. Okay, cool. All right. Go. Sorry. Go ahead with what you were saying. I don't know what I was saying. I don't know.